This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI Senior Writer Al Castle, back once again. Hoping everyone is doing well uh, and braved Tropical Storm uh, Isaias uh, well. Uh, us here in the Northeast uh, got hit pretty hard, I gotta say. I was surprised by um, the damage done by the storm. Um, thankfully, uh, we're okay here. My co-host, Brian Solomon, who we'll hear from uh, in a moment, um, I think got hit a little harder than, than we did, but he's doing all right uh, as well. Uh, in a moment, Brian and I are going to be uh, chatting on WWE, um, a topic that certainly we cover all the time here, uh, but there's cause for concern as of late, and we're going to talk about some of that uh, concern, the creative product uh, by you know, I think most people's estimation uh, leaving a lot to be uh, desired, and we tried to uh, dissect what's wrong with WWE's creative uh, right now and kind of uh, reconcile that against their latest earnings report, uh, which were very, very strong. So how could the two exist? On one hand, uh, the TV ratings and I think the general feedback on WWE product tells you one story their uh, financials tell you something uh, very different and uh, we dig into that in just a moment so stay tuned uh, also later uh, we're going to hear uh, our editor-in-chief Kevin McElvaney's conversation with Impact Wrestling star uh, Willie Mack uh, it was for a feature in the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated which I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you about in just a moment and uh, a fun interview with a really fun personality uh, in Impact I think one of the real shining stars in recent years uh, and a guy who uh, came from the very bottom, as um, is touched on in the story in the magazine, a guy who was once living in the street um, and climbed all the way to being X-Division champion, uh, which he was at the time the interview was uh, conducted, and he talks a bit about getting there and um, just how he's enjoying his time in uh, Impact Wrestling, so uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, let me tell you a little more about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. It's got Charlotte Flair on the cover. Uh, my interview, my hot, exclusive hot seat interview with Charlotte. Uh, you heard some of it here in the last episode of the podcast, and she covers a lot of ground from what it's like working in front of no fans during the pandemic era, her WrestleMania experience, uh, diving a little bit into her relationship with Andrade, uh, the prospect of maybe starting a family, and uh, a lot more. Uh, also in here, we've got uh, features on a lot of personalities that you know maybe don't typically get that much coverage uh, in the magazine, whether it's uh, Thunder Rosa, we've got features on Alistair Black, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Willie Mack, and uh, so much more. Uh, also, uh, Nick Cage, uh, Nick Gage, that is, a, a wrestler here in um, the Northeast, and a guy who uh, has built a reputation for being the deathmatch king. Uh, so uh, a lot to dig in here. Also, uh, the PWI poll, we haven't talked that much about it. Uh, we've been doing it for a number of years. This one I think is particularly newsworthy because it does come in the pandemic era, and there are a lot of questions here that were posed to our subscribers uh, that deal with, uh, you know, how, how wrestling has 
uh, looked and uh, how uh, the decisions that promoters have made uh, throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, I'll give you just a, a sampling here. Um, what did you think of WWE's decision to continue with WrestleMania in an empty arena? Uh, should states have considered pro wrestling among the essential businesses allowed to continue operating throughout the pandemic? What else we got here? Um, assuming the spread of COVID-19 slows, would you be willing to attend a live pro wrestling event in the next six months? Uh, which major wrestling promotion um, had the most appropriate response to COVID-19? And um, there, there's a lot more. I mean, questions about cinematic pro wrestling matches, the, the latest trend during the pandemic. Uh, so, uh, and also uh, the questions that uh, you're, you're used to in the PWI poll, who is the best pound-for-pound wrestler, the best aerialist, the best brawler, the sexiest wrestler, uh, both male and female. Always uh, a lot of fun pouring over the uh, 50 questions of the PWI poll. If you want to read it and everything else that's in this magazine, go to pwi-online.com, pick up the one issue, or subscribe either uh, to the digital edition or the print edition. Both will give you a deep discount over the cover price. The digital edition gets to you uh, a lot faster. Um, I just got this magazine in my mailbox, I think, um, last week. Uh, The digital edition uh, was available weeks ago, so uh, it may be the way to go for you. Plus, it's customized for your electronic device. Uh, Before long, we're just putting to bed right now the PWI 500. It's probably the biggest issue of the year. Uh, You want to make sure you don't miss that one. Uh, Don't worry about whether you could find it at your newsstand or what have you. Uh, just go ahead and subscribe. Get it right to your mailbox. It's absolutely the way to go. And as I said, you get a deep, deep savings. PWI-online.com. While you're there, sign up for the PWI weekly newsletter, completely free, uh, loaded with a lot of fun features, including uh, Wrestler of the Week, uh, uh, Kevin, who puts it together, looks back at some classic editions of PWI, uh, and uh, a lot more. And again, completely free, a good way to support us. Um, Also support us by giving us a a good review for this podcast. We certainly appreciate it. And um, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, give us some feedback. We've been doing this for a number of years. Uh, We want your input. What could we do better? Um, Any advice you have, we certainly uh, appreciate it. Uh, You can do that at pwipodcast at outlook.com. Any other questions, concerns you have about Pro Wrestling Illustrated, you can send them to pwi at kappapublishing.com. Uh, also, you can interact with us over social media, at Official PWI. That's uh, Twitter and Instagram. And you can also find us on Facebook and, uh, more recently, on YouTube. And uh, you can pick up the PWI shirt at ProWrestlingTees.com. All right, joining me right now, uh, my co-host, Brian Solomon, uh, who I believe is is recovering from the storm, as as are we here on, on Long Island. Luckily, I didn't get it all that bad, but but you're out of power, Brian? Yeah, we've been out of power for a day now, so we kind of had to temporarily relocate at my dad's house to make sure all the food didn't go bad. So it's been kind of interesting. I hope uh, things turn uh, around pretty quickly. Last thing we needed on top of everything else was uh, another natural disaster. Speaking of disasters, I thought it was time that we had a conversation about uh, WWE. Not that we haven't as of late, uh, but it really has reached, I think, a sort of um, tipping point. And, and this last Monday on Raw, 
uh, seeming like their latest attempt at a reset might be overstating things, but 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 clearly they're in one of these modes, kind of desperation modes of let's try anything, you know, and and uh, to to turn their fortunes uh, around. Uh, but but I'll start with with this question, which I don't mean as uh, hyperbole, uh, and and it's one I have a legitimate answer to, and and that's that is uh, looking at the product, not just you know right now, last few weeks, or even last few months, but let's take maybe the last 12 months of, of WWE or so. Can you remember a 12-month period where the product is as bad as it is right now? Well, okay. So it's easy. It would be easy for me to just have a knee-jerk reaction and say, yeah, I definitely agree. However, I was a fan in like the era of you know wrestling garbage men and wrestling plumbers and all that kind of stuff in the nineties when they were putting like 2000 people in Madison square garden. I don't. And, and back then the ratings weren't even a factor. Cause you know, it wasn't even like it, it was before the Monday night war. And you know, it was more about like pay-per-view numbers and live attendance. So it's kind of hard to compare. I would have to say it's definitely the worst that it's been, let's say in the past 25 years, I would say that. Yes. Um, I, and honestly, me asking that question, I don't even know if, if that's the case, because I think back to um, 2003-ish, and I remember the product being really, really bad. I remember, um, you know, when when Triple H was feuding with, when Triple H was kind of the top guy on Raw and working with Booker T in a real kind of lackluster feud, and yeah. Katie Vick, and a lot of kind of, you know, the... Um, so it's awful tag teams in, in the mid card. And I thought the product was, was really bad then. I mean, I think maybe most of 2003, even though on, on the SmackDown side, I remember 2003 being pretty good with, with Brock Lesnar and Kurt Angle and, and that stuff. But at least the Raw side, really the whole WWE product right now is in really, really alarmingly bad shape and has been for a while. I, I think one of the things that that's hurt it even more lately is that there are truly no stars. And I feel like that's one of these things that's always thrown out. But but even the little bit of star power they they were holding on to um, Roman Reigns and Becky Lynch, who, you know, were not even, uh, I think, close to the level of, of where John Cena was. John Cena not being at the level that The Rock or, or Steve Austin was. But even at that level. Uh, you don't have Roman Reigns. You don't have Becky Lynch. Uh, so they're, they're top acts right now. You know, you're talking Drew McIntyre, who's kind of unproven, uh, at least in front of uh, fans, and Seth Rollins and um, Braun Strowman. Uh, but to me, the, the, the real issue, and, and interesting if you agree, is, is creative. And creative is just such a hodgepodge right now of, of terrible ideas um that uh, that part of it i is is this the worst creative that 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 you can when's the last time you remember the creative being this bad well you know cornet said something recently that resonated with me where he was like you know the, the biggest feud right now or the biggest struggle in wwe is between the talent and the creative and mm -hmm. and i and i kind of agree because as what ha as happens often though you, you you got great talents there. You know, this is a business where 
stars are made. You don't have to. It's not like a baseball or a football or something where you're you're waiting for somebody to start hitting home runs or, or pitching better. It's like you can you have the power to create these people with the right ta- uh, creative, especially if the talent's there and it's there. So, yeah, this is this really is 100 percent a creative um, issue that's going on here. And, and, you know, I somebody said something recently to on Twitter. It might have been Eric Bischoff, who I don't always agree with. But this struck me, too, where he said this and because he was talking about the same exact thing that's happening right now. And I don't know if he's just bitter that they that they fired him again. I don't know. But he said that, you know, this is the end product of about 10 years. He said 10 years. I would even say more like 15 years of working really hard to make sure that nobody's bigger than the brand. Yeah. Like that has been a conscious thing, like post Stone Cold and post Rock, because of, essentially because of what happened with those guys, uh, as well as everyone else that they've ever made into a top guy. You know, they just had the attitude of, you know what, screw it, we're not. And I know this for a fact, because it was mentioned like verbatim in meetings and stuff. Like, no longer are we going to make these stars that are, that everything is hinging on this one guy or these two guys or anything. It's going to be now just about the brand. People are going to turn on the TV. People are going to come to the arena to see WWE. They won't even care who's on the card. Like that's really what they have been striving for. And now that's what they have. So it's like you you sink or you swim with that. And right now they're sinking with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel like even, uh, uh, in other times where they have struggled and where the people on top are not the ones that the fans have wanted, you could always look to the mid card or even below that, or even developmental and say, Oh, if they'd only run with, with this guy. And, and there's again, no lack of talent in in WWE. And I think plenty of, of people that if they, they did run with, they could have some success, but it's really hard to identify those people um, right now in part because just nobody's, you know, even before Stone Cold was Stone Cold, he was lower on the card, but cutting promos and um, uh, uh, getting the, the TV time where you saw something, you saw that untapped potential. Uh, now you don't even see that that much because guys, even the, the ones with huge upsides are not positioned to right. uh, to, to get over. Right. So you've, you've you've just as an example, not that this would be the guy, but. You know, Mustafa Ali is put out there, but he's put out there essentially to just to do a job. So um, what's the point? So, again, I, I look, you, you've got Matt Riddle. You've, you've got guys um, who could who could be elevated. Uh, but this is and this is something we've talked about. And one of the concerns is. In, in some ways, the, the worst thing that could happen to you is that you get the push in WWE, right, that that the, the creative team starts focusing on you and your your storyline and starts giving you attention because once they do you're sunk you know now you're 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 matches where you've got to pluck people's eyes out or you're wrestling in a swamp or uh or whatever so it, it it's this sort of catch-22 on one hand you want to be featured on the other hand when the creative gets its hands on you it's disastrous right i i think the worst thing actually there's something worse than that the worst thing that can happen to you is if you get over organically on your own when they weren't planning for you to get over. Then you're then because what they do then is they rein you back in, which is insane. If you look at the history of the business and the history of how booking has worked, like we've seen guys 
people like Zack Ryder who will all of a sudden go on fire and it's like and it's not planned and they just beat him down so he goes right back to where he was. I mean, honestly, I, I felt like this, and I know it sounds almost laughable now when you think about what they did with him, but for about two or three weeks, that was happening with um, with Gable, for God's sakes. Yeah. Where, like, you felt a buzz, like something was happening, like people were, were buying into this guy. It was very unlikely. It was just happening organic, and they ruined him in a in a way that can only be, you, you could draw no other conclusion other than that it was intentional. Like completely intentional, like let us make him now as lame as we possibly can so that people stop getting behind him. And it's and it's simply because he's not the guy we were planning to push. And and and, and that kind of stuff. And also not that not just that, but we don't want people getting over and then getting out of our control. Like you, you brought up Austin. Now, he, he's a good example, but he's an example of why it doesn't happen anymore, too, because like at the time before Austin got his big push, when he first came into WWF. Right. That was before the time of, you know, these long scripted promos. I mean, it, w- it was soon to happen, but not yet, where every single word that they said was memorized and scripted. So he still was part of that era where he was the tail end of it, where they had the opportunity to go s- somewhat off the cuff and put some of their spontaneous personality into things and, and even he said that in interviews where he hates the whole idea of how they do it now with these like these guys i've seen guys backstage i think i've said it before like racking their brains guys that should never be in a position to have to do this to memorize like a 20 minute speech like they're you know like they're doing shakespeare or something like it's crazy it's crazy yeah yeah absolutely Let, let's talk about some specific stuff that that we've seen and again monday being uh, kind of a soft reset, and and clearly uh, they're in desperation mode. They they've had on multiple weeks some of the the lowest. It, it feels like almost week in week out they're setting the record or coming close to the lowest ratings uh, of all time. I mean numbers that we couldn't imagine having seen right. uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, and this came up in, in the, the the latest investor call, which we'll, we'll talk more about in a bit, but. Uh, Vince McMahon even acknowledged, yes, we we need to do something. We start we need to start making some moves. That that's paraphrasing. So we saw some of what those moves were on Monday, and it's so disheartening that that this is what they think. Um, you know, fans want to see that, that that disconnect is so pronounced. Um, so let's talk about Raw Underground, which which uh, again immediately goes in that kind of wrestle crap. Uh, and, and I'll say this. There's the the potential for for something there. It had to be reworked hugely. But but I I remember uh, it reminds me when I saw that movie. I don't know if you ever saw uh, Suicide Squad, right? And Suicide Suicide Squad was a bad movie. But I said there was a good movie in there, right? There was there there's something that if you extracted it, you you uh, um, you know you you emphasize the positives and you reduce the negatives, you could have something. And I felt like. There was a morsel of something there, but it was bad. It was bad, and it was so. When I saw the dancing girls, the the dancing strippers, I mean, your head just sinks to your hand. It's so 1999. I mean, it it, it literally felt like the the, the old um, intro to Shotgun Saturday Night. And here's 50 something year old gray Shane McMahon playing the cool guy. He's he's the cool one who's in in touch with the young people. And then it's it's Fight Club, a movie that literally came out 
I don't know, 22, 23 years ago? And, 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 and like the underground fight scene, when was the last time that was a thing? And I think that they think that that's what, I don't they think that's what UFC is and that's what like the young people today are, are into. Let's get some strippers and some underground fighting. It was one of the most, and, and I, I think this is the case for, you know, all of culture. When people who are out of touch try so hard to prove that they are not out of touch, it's when they especially reveal themselves to be out of touch. So this attempt of, of saying, no, we're, we could be young, we could be hip, we could connect to young fans, uh, expose them so much in in a bad just embarrassing way yeah and and you know shane right now because a, a lot of us i think we, we still have in our mind like you know the attitude era 20 something shane and all this shane right now is in the phase of his career what he is right now is you remember when vince was hosting primetime wrestling with Bobby Heenan. Oh, yeah, when, with the Zubas when, ass pants. Yeah, with the Zubas <laughs> and the high-top sneakers, and he's, yeah. like, pushing 50. Like, that is basically Shane where Shane is at. Right then. He is. He's actually a, a couple years older, right? There, but not too much. Like, Vince was probably, like, late 40s around that time. Late 40s. And, but what's happening is, uh, and by the way, too, with this Raw Underground thing, I mean, a lot of people have pointed this out, but, I mean, Raw Underground, Lucia Underground. I yeah. mean, <laughs> there was definitely I felt some some kind of influence there too with the whole kind of like Lucha Underground had that even though it was more of a wrestling based product, it had that kind of like forbidden like you're seeing something you're not supposed to see. It's happening in this undisclosed location somewhere, yeah. and you know, it, it, in even some the warehouse was was kind of similar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and my problem with it is there is literally no upside like to this. And, and I think it hurts it hurts the other stuff because, look, all right, they did the brawl for all years ago, right? And people complained about that because they said in part because, well, it's going to expose what we do otherwise because now guys are having real fights and now people are going to say, well, wh what are they doing in the other matches? You know what right. I mean? But but at least back then, and that was a disaster, at least back then you could say, well, OK, but at least these are like real shoot fights and we're trying to show like who's the toughest guy. Now you've got fake shoot fights. like <laughs> So so it's worked just like the other matches are worked, but it's made to look more like a real fight. So it's like you're pointing out how choreographed and scripted the other matches are and still not even giving people <laughs> legitimate matches. So yeah. why are you doing this? And, and, and fake shoot fights where the, 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 the moves um, that you see used could also be, and are also used in, in regular works wrestling. So it wasn't like, you know, Shane talked about, there's no rules. So what do they do? They throw elbows and punches and use sleeper holds. Yeah, you could and you do do that in in regular wrestling matches. Why would those be more effective without the ropes <laughs> in in place? Like why all of a sudden would an elbow strike from, you know, Dolph Ziggler or whoever knock a wrestler out? And again, and and this is the problem whenever they try to get sort of hardcore uh doing all this and then at the same time not having blood. Uh, it just looks ridiculous, right? I mean, like, oh, look how brutal those those elbows are. He doesn't have a mark on his face, right. but 
but I guess those are supposed to be extra brutal. It it just was um, it was embarrassing. It wasn't just bad. I mean, there's no shortage of bad. It's it's your uncle, um, you know, trying to dance at the party, you know, kind of thing. Uh, it, it it's just again, you 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 turn flush red and you put your um, face in your hands, like oh my god, you don't really think this is cool, do you? Uh, and now when I say there's something there, um, you know, that well, I forgot what they call him now, Dabakato, the the former Baba Tunde, the, the the idea of of um, debuting this guy as uh, an, an underground kind of pit fighter who just kills someone. There's something there that, that you know, WWE wrestling's done that before. Uh, uh, it could work. Um, I liked uh, uh, the Hurt Business, which I think is an awesome name for, for yeah, a faction, coming yeah. in and, and like, manhandling those guys. It was a good way to feature them. So, there, you know, there was some stuff in there. E- even having Dolph Ziggler show off his, his wrestling skills because he's got this legitimate wrestling uh, background. But uh, it just was so incredibly out of touch and tone deaf. Um, and, and beyond that, I think you touched on it unsustainable. So, so is the idea that we're going to get that the third hour of raw every week is going to be, um, raw underground. Uh, who wants to see that? It, it, it's, wow. uh, it was terrible. And also the funny thing to me, and it's ironic given like, cause you know, I've been watching wrestling a really long time and I watch a lot of r- old wrestling, right. Both for my job and just for fun. And when you see a lot of the moves they're doing, you know, they're trying to basically tell you like a move like this would be devastating in a real fight in a wrestling match. You know, it's just like guys just shake it off and it's not as realistic. But meanwhile, you know, old timers have been pointing out for years that that's the whole reason way back when that they worked a more low key style. Because they weren't try, they didn't want to strain the believability. They wanted to have people believe they were watching a real fight. So that's why you would see guys get pinned on like a suplex or a clothesline. Because like if you really did stuff like that to somebody, you probably would knock them out half the time. You, you know what I mean? So they were trying to protect the business, but but now that the product is so cartoonish and it has been you know look for generations now it just accentuates it even more when you're saying okay now we're going to show you what a real fight looks like but we're still going to work it anyway yeah let's talk about the other thing that that we got some glimpses of it it, it looks like we're probably still a week or so away from the payoff and that's this new faction um that was causing chaos on raw and the lights are flickering and the microphone is going out and you knew something that was uh, uh, sort of questionable in its taste was coming just from the, the <laughs> WWE announcement earlier in the day. W- whenever they sort of warn you, this has nothing to do with politics. This is, you know, this is not supposed to represent. You're like, okay, here comes another, you know, Muhammad Hassan. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as soon as they came on the, the screen, the, the second I saw them, like, okay, Antifa. This is Antifa. <laughs> this okay. is, you know, the Antifa faction. And and that's what it was. They're throwing Molotov uh, 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 cocktails at some generators or something. Uh, backstage, uh, what were your, your first impressions, and could this work? Whatever it is. So two things I want to say. So my first impression was, isn't this what the shield was supposed to be for like the yeah. first five minutes that they that they were out there? They were kind of supposed to be like the Occupy Wall Street of WWE, like at the time, and then it just sort of became kind of watered down. The other thing I want to say, and this is 
apropos of nothing, but it really, what bugged me is, so, so you have the lights going on and off, right? And Tom Phillips is selling it like somebody died. Like, like, dude, just the lights just went out for three seconds. <laughs> He's got like this somber, like, re- like, well, well, fans, you know, uh, we're sure this is just a technical difficulty. We, we don't really know. Like he brought his voice all the way down. Like this serious thing happened. The, the, the lights flickered for a few seconds. Like, like right from there, it was telegraphing that this was going to be something ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is, is it uh, as far as clearly playing off of current headlines, is this out of bounds? And again, not knowing where they're going or even out of bounds, is it a bad idea uh, to, to just just even touch on this stuff? Okay, well, I'm I'm going to say this. Uh, um, I'm one of those people that I really don't I don't like the idea of subject matter being out of bounds. Like, like it, it bothers me in comedy when people say that. It, it it even bothers me in wrestling when people say that. I understand it's not 1985 anymore, but I believe there's still a way to pull things off, and there's a way to do things. And if and if we're going to say that wrestling is scripted entertainment. Well, then, look, if they could have characters like that in a movie, then they could have them in pro wrestling or, or a TV show. If they could do then they could then they could deal with that here. And I, and I really I even felt that way when the Muhammad Hassan thing happened. I was working there at the time, but it comes down to the way it's done. So I think like the jury is kind of out on this. It's, just, you know, it's week one. I'm kind of taking a wait and see attitude, but I'm, I'm not one of those, those people who's willing to dismiss it out of hand because I, I just I think that's very limiting to creative. And if we want creative to try things, I, I don't think limiting is the best idea. I, I largely uh, agree. I 100% agree uh, when it comes to uh, uh, like comedy and subject matter. I agree. Uh, anything goes if you do it well, right? I've, I've heard yeah. jokes about the most offensive subject matter you can think of, uh, which I won't even think to, you know, mention here, uh, done cleverly, really funny, um, that there are comedians who could who could walk that line, even when something yeah. is very fresh and very raw, and and do it well. Um, I don't have, with all due respect, I don't have any faith in WWE um, to to be able to deal with it with that kind of nuance. They claim they do, and again, Muhammad Hassan is the one that comes up, and and Muhammad Hassan was post 9/11, and I think the the pitch was. It was going to be um, this sort of meta character that uh, uh, deals with the the prejudice uh, uh, against Muslims post 9/11, and it was a terrorist, right? It was a terrorist trying to behead the Undertaker. You know, the the nuance just <laughs> just disappeared within uh, the first week or two, and we've seen it with so many other things, whether it was like. Again, they, it, it's supposed to be this kind of post-ironic, the, the Mexicals, things like that. No, it's just Mexicans riding lawnmowers to the <laughs> ring. There, there's nothing deeper here. So um, the, the the thing with this is that, and again, you're right. You know, we got to see like how it plays out. It, it's week one. Uh, but certainly the suggestion from what we saw first week is that these are bad guys, right? These are rabble rousers. These are uh, uh, troublemakers. And... I would assume, in as much as again, I think that what they're the, the suggestion is that they are uh, the extreme left, right? They're extreme left rabble rousers, and they're bad guys, right? So 
uh, do you run the risk of alienating a, a, a big, you know, part of the country um, that sees that and, and says, is that what you think of, of the people, you know, out in the streets protesting, that kind of thing? Uh, uh, I don't know. I, I, I just wonder. Yes, there's a good way to do it. Again, I don't have any confidence in WWE, um, you know, hitting that target. Yeah, it also speaks to a couple things. I mean, we we know. I mean, there's no. We've mentioned it before, and you know, not to we're <laughs> trying to take sides here or anything, but we know that you know the, the McMahon family are not not only that they're that they support Trump, but that they are very conservative in their politics. I mean, that's been demonstrated over the years, and who they support politically and things like that, and who they oppose. So that's definitely their frame of mind. But I also think that in the when it comes to the fan base, there's kind of a split here. So I and this is just I, I this is anecdotal. I don't have metrics to support this. But my gut feeling is that, the, you know, the majority of vocal online fans, like when you're on social media and you're on Twitter and Facebook, the majority of those fans are leaning left and they're not yes. going to like something like this. Yes. But I do think I do think that overall in the grand scope of things that the majority of the total fan base of not just WWE, but pro wrestling in general tends to lean right. And I think that is what they're going for here. I, I agree. And I've, I've had this conversation um, with, with other issues relating to, to wrestling uh, and, and right. It could be uh, misleading. You see everybody on social media uh, with one viewpoint and you could think, wow, that's where, where fans are at. Uh, but whatever that split is, whether it is 50-50, um, 60-40, or, you know, 90-10, there's part of me that wonders, is it just better you know, not to wade in those waters? Uh, b because any which way, um, you're going to, even if it is 10%, you risk alienating those people. Now, again, they, they, maybe that's not a good reason for not to, to, to go places, but but I, I, I do wonder, and I think you touched on it, are are people in WWE's own political perspectives um, affecting this? In that, to them, clearly, the world sees uh, uh, these people as bad guys, uh, and so we're good here, you know, casting them a, a, as bad guys uh, because who who would possibly disagree with us? So I think that's a I don't know. Yes, there's absolutely a, a way that this could be done that that could work. I, I don't even know who's in it. You know, one one thing I've wondered because it, I guess the word is that the, the name of the faction is going to be uh, retribution. I read that somewhere, so I don't know how legitimate that is. Um, it, and certainly their actions would suggest that they've got some kind of axe to grind. So I wonder so if these are some of the folks who were fired. You know, or they bring uh, them back. <laughs> You, you know. You're reading my mind. I thought yeah, yeah. that now that is the one thing that would really make this really work for me is if yeah. it turned out to be that. I mean, then I mean that that actually has the makings of a really interesting angle if they do that. Yeah, and and a way to get over some talent. Um, you know, I, I think back to the Nexus, and the, you know, Nexus really worked before it didn't. Before they, you know, they job those all guys out in in SummerSlam in the first uh, a big match. But I remember the Nexus when they debuted being red, red hot. It was a really, really hot angle. Uh, and it was a way to instantly elevate guys from almost the bottom to near the top. Uh, so I don't know, in, in as much as a lot of these guys have already been picked up other places, but could you have a faction that involves um, Drake Maverick? Uh, who's out there? Rusev? I don't know. 
Yeah, uh, and Rusev actually was vocally critical of something WWE uh, recently. Uh, it was pointed out. I think it might have been the underground thing, or he's, he he made some kind of remark. So I mean, it could you know could be a work. Who knows? Yeah, wrestling. yeah. But you know, right, wife is still there. So I mean, who knows? yeah, yeah. So so I guess we'll wait and see. But the other thing I want to touch on, right? So so we we've got this product that is. Um, really concerning as far as the creative and and because of that and because the ratings being so low i think there are a lot of eyes on on the latest um the second quarter uh earnings report that came out last week thinking like well here's going to be like the, the 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 big kind of sounding of the alarm uh and and the realization among investors that you know there's there's cause for concern and what happens they have their best quarter ever right i mean uh just just raking in cash some of it in retrospect, makes all the sense in the world. I mean, kind of counterintuitive, and, and I think things that maybe we weren't um, counting on. Uh, it, in a lot of ways, the pandemic has has helped them. People are staying home or uh, home more. They're looking for more things to stream. You know, they're looking for live sports content. Um, so the WWE Network sub- subscriptions were way up. They got rid of the free month. That helped them a lot. That sort of makes all the sense. Uh, in the world. And the other thing that, that you and I touched on a couple of weeks ago, um, they're saving a ton of money with this new TV taping uh, a format, which makes me wonder, again, if, if it sticks around it. And to some extent, I'd be OK with it. Uh, but, you know, I, I think for a, for a long time, every time they were going out the door for live events, house shows, they were losing money. And I went to uh, a Smackdown at Madison Square Garden last year. And I think they said it was the first time in like 15 years that that SmackDown was in Madison Square Garden and The Undertaker was there. They showed some of that in in the documentary. Um, You know, they loaded it up as much as you could. And when I tell you it was one of the smallest houses I ever saw in Madison Square Garden, it was maybe a third full. So every time they were going out the door, they were losing a ton of money. So uh, stopping those live events uh, and and the live uh, Raws every week they're just saving a, a ton of money running out of uh, the performance center. So uh, that helped. Uh, whatever the case, you know, a very profitable second uh, quarter. And the, the concern, I, I would think, is does this just kind of put the wind in their sails and sort of um, give them affirmation that, that they're moving in the right direction? Well, here's the danger with that. And, and there's been a lot of talk. And even from surprising people that I think I thought would kind of know better, but a lot of talk of well, ratings don't matter anymore. You know, it's not the it's not the business model anymore. And you know, they've got these TV rights fees, and they're swimming in money, and they're and they're totally liquid, and they're doing great. And it doesn't even matter like building angles anymore. You, you know, you just have to keep the brand strong. But the problem is a couple things. If it stays this bad for long enough, and the ratings are this poor, you know. Their contracts are not going to last forever. And and what do you think is going to happen when they need to negotiate new rights fees, new contracts? Do you think Fox is still going to be interested? Do you even think USA is going to be interested? Do you? They're not going to have the kind of leverage to negotiate for those numbers anymore, not to mention the fact that what is happening right now is weakening the brand and giving it less cachet and making it a less desirable thing. So they may be locked into these beautiful deals right now. And that money may be able to last them a very long time, but it's not an infinite gravy train and it's not a long term plan for, you know, good, sustainable business. It's very short term. 
And so they really need to, to realize, I'm sure they do, but maybe there's people there that do, but there's nothing they could do about it. Like they need to make this product more engaging and get more people to watch it or people are not going to want to pay them anymore to put put it on their channels, on their networks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Fox has got to be disappointed. And, um, you know, I think it's different from USA, where USA uh, has such so little else that even a watered-down Raw is still going to be one of their, you know, right. performing. Right, but... You're, yeah. you're right about that. I mean, I don't think USA would outright dump them. But when it comes around again, I am positive even USA is going to sit there and go, OK, let's talk money here. You know what I mean? Like, right. Because they're not going to be as much over a barrel. They're going to say, look, your show stinks right now. Your ratings are in the toilet. So if you don't take this deal we're giving you, what else are you going to get? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and the thing that AEW has sort of um, revealed is that you know, yes, there is is still a market for for pro wrestling, but maybe not WWE. I mean, you you don't you don't have to be in the WWE business to get some eyeballs. So, um, could could USA venture elsewhere? Can you pump some money into um, some other property and and bring it over? Um, or or does it have to be wrestling at all? I mean, it it does get to a number where like yes. It's it does better than most of our shows, but it also costs us a lot, lot more. So are we we better off going with something that that, you know, maybe doesn't stick in a movie in there or something and saving a ton, a, a ton of money. And with yeah. Fox, I think it's a real easy decision. I mean, I, and, and I don't I don't see them. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's very easy for them to just be, well, let's cancel them, move them to, to FS1, whatever, put something else there on. I mean, that's prime time network television. And I think they're doing well enough now, but I don't, I don't, gosh, these numbers and the direction they're going, I don't know. How long is that contract? It's like five years or something. I just can't yeah. imagine that yeah. they see it through. So, so what uh, uh, needs to happen? You know, the proverbial magic wand, you wave it and all these changes um, occur. The, the, this has always been out there. I feel like it, it's getting louder and louder and louder than ever. And that is Vince McMahon. Uh, and with all, I don't want to dump on the guy, the most important figure in, in the history of pro wrestling and brought me tons and tons of entertainment over my lifetime. But um, is the reality that uh, it's time for, for him to move down and for somebody else to take the reins? Yeah, I think the the answer, I mean, look, I'm if I had all the best answers, you know, I wouldn't be on this podcast with you, I'd be running one of these companies, right? But I will say this at least, that whatever is gonna happen to turn this around, if anything is gonna turn it around, it's going to have to be a complete and total like transformation. Not not something other than wrestling, but as far as look and feel and a 100% shift in everything from what we're currently seeing to the point where it's not even going to be recognizable anymore from the WWE of the past. And I think that, and, and what I mean by that is even something like, I'm not saying that they turn it into NXT, but when you look at NXT, that's a product that is, especially when it first started, unrecognizable to what WWE was, like a completely different approach, philosophy style product. And I think when Vince is no longer in charge, whenever that happens, you are going to see that happen with the main roster product 
in an even more dramatic way, because I think there's a lot of hands are tied. And I think there's a lot of ideas that get stifled. And I think it's going to transform almost in the sense of like when you look at WWE now and you compare it to like WWE of 20 years ago or 30 years ago, like the product is unrecognizable. Like that kind of a shift needs to happen. That's the only thing that's going to do it. Yeah. Not, not like, oh, we're going to make a couple of new stars. We're going to have a new set. Like that. that's not, no, I'm talking right. like bottom to the top change. Yeah. Yeah. Does that mean among the talent too? I mean, can, can, uh, is the reality that, that a, a total transformation also means looking at different faces every, every week? I, I, I think that, and now I'm going to sound terrible because I'm not going to be like, fire everybody. After <laughs> I was the one that was complaining about they fired, how they fired everybody, right? But I think that, um, I think there's a way to do it. I don't think you, you need to like fire everyone and start over. But I think there's some people that have been there a really long time that are stale, that are not really making the world change or anything like that. I think that a gradual kind of like, churning of the roster into something different is not going to be the worst thing in the world where you could even take people now that are not doing a lot and give them huge opportunities people that you know can run with a ball so and i mean that's part of it when i say shake up i mean like every like even like the people at the top they could be people that are there now but maybe they're just not at the top or maybe they're not on television it's got to be like the whole fate of the company needs to change everything. I, I think the challenge, and, and this absolutely won't happen with Vince McMahon at the helm, is that um, it requires patience, right? I mean, you see baseball uh, teams and, and, and other sports, uh, pro sports teams do it all the time, the, the, the rebuilding era, right? So you accept that, all right, we're not going to be contenders for the next few years, but we're going to, you know, we're we're going to uh, develop the farm team and bring some guys up and, and they're going to get better. And in whatever it is, five, 10 years from now, you know, we'll be at the top. And, and um, I don't see WWE under Vince McMahon. The other challenge is, is them being um, public and accountable to investors um, ever really doing that. And so, and th this isn't just the case over the last year, this has been the case for the last 20 plus years is whenever things get bad, they they try something when they don't see results in a few weeks or a few months, they pull the plug and they try something else. I mean, that was Eric Bischoff running SmackDown, Paul Heyman running Raw, um, you know, and even to go into remember the um, this is one of the worst uh, uh, the 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 million dollar giveaway, you know, the desperation of, of, of that years ago, 12 years ago, whatever it was, when they were literally just giving away money um, yes. and, and they. Uh, it, it, it just feels like they're always in the mode of like, what can we do right now? And um, that that reflects also in the creative where you don't have that long term planning. You know, uh, I've been watching a lot of old wrestling, too, in, in the last few months being stuck at home. And it it's incredible how months and months ahead of time, sometimes a year ahead of time, they would telegraph something. Right. There was the classic example that folks always you know point to is. The mega powers and it was clear on like the day one that hogan and savage got together that they were looking ahead to the mega powers exploding and, and working their way backwards and and now and i think the raw last night was was definitely like emblematic of this it, it it's so slipshod just like 
Um, and the word was that yeah, literally minutes before the, they go on, they're they're ripping up scripts and and it, it, there's just no forward uh, thinking, no planning uh, ahead. And so I, I think the moves that need to be made are, are long term moves. But this is not a company that that thinks long term. You know, it, it used to be, though, you know, I mean, they did like you pointed out and that was very common. They booked things at least at the top, at least. They book things at least a year out, sometimes even more than that. Like Andre and Hogan was being planned yeah. from when Hogan won the belt three years before. They were already hinting at it. Uh, even that early that they were going to do something, it was being considered. But the problem to the – look, as devil's advocate here, the benefit they had back then is they didn't have the ratings machine that they had to feed every single week where big, momentous things have to constantly be happening to get people to watch. They didn't have a pay-per-view every month. Like, they had a few, you know, yeah. in that year that you planned out, there would be a handful of major storyline beats that you would hit. And nowadays, they, they do it in a month. You know what I mean? Sometimes yeah. less. And it's, yeah, but it's it because you have pressure. this machine, this, this monster you have to feed every week, you know? I, I think if they are going to rebrand in the way that I said, one thing that would help is... If they were to shut down for a short period of time mm. and just say, we are going to close up shop. We're going to do like best dubs for a couple of months. Everyone in Stanford, like everyone, we're, we're getting together and we are rebuilding this thing. And when it re-debuts, it's going to be a major event. People are going to tune in and we're going to make sure we give them something that is so different that they're going to be like, holy crap, I, I need to see this now. Because Look, stuff like NXT and, a and NXT is their own brand, but stuff like NXT and AEW, the reason it worked is it's so different. Pe that's a big part. I mean, even people who complain about AEW who don't like a lot of their wrestling content and the way that it, they approach it, it's still fascinating because it's something new and different. And you watch it and you go like, wow, WWE would never do this or they would never do it this way. And it just makes it interesting and compelling. That's what they need to go for. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, it, it's fascinating that they have NXT, which um, I've always thought for the last few years, it's just it's just a, a better version of WWE because the it, the WWE production value and the, the WWE touches there as far as um, mm -hmm. you know packaging videos and and music and and the ring and and all that that all that's there, but. Um, uh, more disciplined, uh, creative, more of an eye on the future, more of that long term. You know, they'll they'll put some people on TV who are green as grass. Right. And and um, slowly kind of like develop them and, and know that they're going to go out there and and they're going to stink it up sometimes. And some guys make it and some guys don't. But you and, and the the turn of uh, top. I mean, like Karrion Cross, Right. I mean, he was in an impact a few months ago. He he debuts in uh, NXT as a top guy, right? Uh, and and right away was uh, uh, beating, who was that he beat at the, the uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Tommaso Ciampa, clean in, in like yeah. six, seven minutes. I mean, like, this is something you'd never see on, on Raw or SmackDown. I mean, like uh, pushing, and, and now he is, uh, again, the, the, the turn, the turnover, a few months ago, the, the top NXT programs were like Adam Cole and and Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa, um, and now the top program is Keith Lee and Karrion Cross, guys who 
a year ago were barely even on the radar. You know, that's how quickly they move people in, in these positions and, and try different things there. Um, and, and NXT is not a perfect product by, by any means. I mean, it's, it's got its flaws. But, um, you know, if if nothing else, it gives you some optimism for the day. If it comes and I don't even know that it's a given th- that it is Triple H um, uh, largely running the, the creative side. Thank you, Brian. Uh, I appreciate you uh, joining me uh, as always. And uh, we'll do it again soon. Uh, happy to be on. Again, Al, thank you so much, and uh, hopefully I get my power back, too. Yes, hopefully by next week uh, everything is much better. Have a good one, man. I want to thank Brian, as always, for a fun and insightful uh, conversation. Right now, let's go to another conversation conducted by PWI Editor-in-Chief Kevin McElvaney. You can read more about it in the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated in a feature entitled The Rise of the Mac." From living on the streets to living his dream, here is Impact Wrestling star Willie Mack. Well, first off, congratulations for winning your X Division title win. Um, it's a big deal. How does it how does it feel to represent the X Division as the champion? Well, it feels great. Knowing all the great guys that came out of it, Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, and Chris Daniels, and now I'm one of the guys that's a part of that group of people especially when I used to watch it back in the day on Spike TV and the weekly pay-per-views. It was, that was the thing that brought me to watching back in the day was the X division. And now it's great to be the head of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely some, some big footsteps to follow in there. So, I mean, you were watching going way back the early days of the X division. How much of a role did that play in you developing your in-ring style when you were first starting out? Oh, I already knew what I wanted to do when I got in. Before I got into wrestling, I knew I liked the little high-flyer luchadors, and then I knew I liked the power guys, and then I liked the Japanese striking. And then I saw the X-Division dudes. I'm like, oh, okay, sweet. That's pretty much what I'm going for. So, yeah, when I got trained, I ended up learning everything I could and just rolled it into one kind of hybrid style and made it my own. So the X Division, of course, has always been more about style than about size or weight class or anything like that. But, but there's only been a handful of big guys who have worn the title. So, I mean, if we look at that, how would you rank yourself against a Samoa Joe or a Brian Cage? Where do you stack up? Well, there was a couple of them. It was, let me see, Samoa Joe, Abyss had it, yep. Brian Cage, and Bobby Lasky was an X Division champion, too. And Kurt Angle, I guess, but I don't know if he's that big. Uh, I guess I could be somewhere in the middle because I'm not quite there yet, but I'm getting there. As long as I got it there, where I'm champion, I can work my way towards what they built up on. You know what I mean? So it sounds like you're keeping humble at this point. You think even, I mean, you've been in the business for decently over a decade now, but you, you still feel like you have room to grow. Is that right? Yeah, because it's like, even though I've been in there so long, there's still stuff I can learn and do and improve on. So there ain't nothing wrong with looking back and picking up and fixing things you need to fix. So when you were first starting, you know, to do these, this more high impact style all those those years ago, these riskier moves. Was there ever anyone who tried to talk you out of it or discourage you from, from wrestling that kind of style? 
Oh yeah, a bunch of people. Because it's like when you get into wrestling, they always want you to be like the big big power dude and not be able to move around the ring and stuff like just be slow and you know, work a heavyweight style, but I never liked it. Like certain people you will watch, you'll be like, Oh, okay, that's cool. Well if he can move a little bit faster, I'll probably like him more. And since I played football, I never really did things slow anyway. I always had to be like fast burst in between. So that's why I went to Lucha Libre and started incorporating it in my matches. So I, I didn't know that, that you had a, a football background. I know that you started training for wrestling right out of high school. Did you did you play high school football then? No. The only football I played was Pop Warner when I played middle division and when I went to junior college with my homeboy because we both said we wanted to play football together. But he got kicked out of the school, so I ended up playing football by myself there. <laughs> right. I mean, do you think... I'm like, why? So do you think that that influenced what you do in wrestling at all, or is it two different things? No, it's two different things. You just know when you're on the field, you got to make certain decisions, make sure you get that playoff fast. So when I'm in the ring, it's like I don't want to be like slow or nothing like that. Right, right. So, I mean, it kind of sounds like what people think of as the, the... typical heavyweight style i mean you're just you're just not into it i mean does that go way back to when you were watching as a kid were you into the wrestlers who did a more technical or high-flying style like how does how did that work for you yeah i like dean malenko and Bret hart my all-time favorite him and Stone Cold. and then like of course coming up as a kid you like hulk hogan and macho man macho man is pretty good and the Ultimate Warrior because they all had bright colors and they made a lot of noise and they moved around with their hands and stuff. So, of course, as a kid, you're going to be gravitating towards that. But then you get older and you be like, oh, okay, here go the Rey Mysterios and the Dean Malenko's and everybody else. Like, the technical aspect is, like, pretty cool. Absolutely. So, um, I wanted to shift gears a little bit here, but – so part of being a wrestler now is having a brand and the, the, the whole social media side of things. And you're not the only mm-hmm. one who does this, but one thing I've really noticed with you is you like to put out there your, your identity as a, as a gamer. So, I mean, even going back four or five years, I think you were giving your, your network handle that saying, come play PlayStation with me. What uh, you stream on Twitch, of course, impacts done a lot of that. What really resonates with you about video games? I assume you've been playing for a long time. What What is it about video games you love so much? Uh, it's an escape from the real world. You could be somebody you're not. Like all the frustration you had like the week, you could just come home, play some video games, and blow off that scene pretty much. Unless you're losing, that'll make you even angrier, but you get over it because you know it's a game and it kind of takes your mind to a different place like this stuff that's going on in the world right now, people need to escape. Mm-hmm. And it's up to video games, television, even just opening the door and looking outside. That's a way to get it off your shoulders and off your chest and give you a clear mind. Definitely, definitely agree with that. I mean, I, I've been, what have you been playing lately? I'm, uh, we can get more into video games myself too. I was looking for recommendations. So. Well, my go-tos is Overwatch, and when I want to get mad, 
play some Fortnite because I hate Fortnite, but I, I'm addicted to it. But a newer game that just came out that's pretty amazing is called Predator Hunting Ground. Huh. What's that one like? Yeah, it's from the, it's good. It reminds me, it's from the same people that made the Friday the 13th video game. It's oh, four oh. versus one. Yeah, it's four soldiers versus the Predator. But the Predator has all his skills so he can hide in trees and stuff. And you got to listen and do certain objectives and make sure you stay away from him. And you can kill him if you want to. So there's like a stealth thing to it. That's cool. Yep. So you talk about video games being an escape uh, for you going back a number of years. Uh, you've, you've been through a lot in your life. I mean, growing up, you were in foster care for a while. Um, yep. Right around that same time, I think you were 14, you had your first experience train or maybe a little older than that your first time training as uh, a wrestler i think you went and did a day at a school somewhere um yeah so where, where was, I was that 14 yeah i snuck off and i didn't sneak off it was actually my day off from school we had a free day yeah and it was on a thursday i went to train at bart's Kirkpat school it was basically called revolution pro and they ran out in Frankenstein's collectibles out in the city of industry. So I took a bus from LA all the way from there to the city of industry and trained for like the four or five hours they was there training and said, all right, I like it, but I'm gonna wait until I graduate and get my diploma first and I'll see y'all again in four years. And they're like, all right, cool. Sure enough, I graduated on a Wednesday. The next day was training on the Thursday in 2005. And I went there. It wasn't a Revolution Pro School no more. It ended up being a AWS alternative wrestling show. And some of the same people were there. And they said, oh, you actually came back. And I said, yeah, that's what I want to do. Wow. So, you, I mean, you knew even then. I mean, so, and you watch as a kid. Was did you did you look at wrestling as 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 an outlet or an escape growing up? I mean, going through all that that you that you had. To oh go yeah, because it was the one thing I looked forward to: Monday nights, Thursday nights, Friday nights, Saturday mornings. Whenever I could find it, it was like uh, I got to give me some wrestling because this stuff sucks. And then, like you had something to talk about the next day, especially when the Monday night wars was going on. Mm -hmm. You go up. You have, I had my NWO shirts. One of my homies had a DX set. Like, ah, DX set. No, NWO suck. And then we was up there, we'll get the two going back and forth. And right. that's something that was bringing people together, just some pro wrestling. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you knew really early on that you wanted to be a wrestler for, for a living. Like, was there ever any other options for you? Uh, I said I'd either be a firefighter or a ninja. And I guess those didn't work out. So, so I mean, you got in. I mean, you started doing pretty well right away. You were you were big on the the California indie scene, pro wrestling, gorilla, some other places. Um, yeah. I don't, don't want to harp on it too long, but WWE signed you. You weren't able to debut because there were some medical issues they supposedly were worried about. Um, and mm -hmm. then there were some more tough times after that. So you were, I think you were homeless and living out of your car for a time. Did I get that right? Car. I had no damn car. I had no life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, straight up on the street. Oh man. Okay, yeah. So that's even yeah. worse. That's even worse. So I mean, at that point, 
you went and you uprooted your life for this. You were, it didn't work out the way it was supposed to. At that point, did you ever consider quitting, going and doing something else that might be a little more stable than wrestling? Well, I ain't gonna lie, it came across my head because it was like, it was weird because I got released and I had a show the the same day I got released because nobody knew about it. That was supposed to be my last show in California. Mm-hmm. And the dude, homie Joey Cash, said, oh, he ran a Santino Brothers Wrestling Academy out in Cali. Right. He said, oh, I'll just pay you. You don't have to wrestle or nothing. And I was like, hell no, I, ain't, I wasn't brought up like that. I'm going to work for my money. And then I went out there, I wrestled. And it was like I was just going through the motions. Like, my emotions were like, it was like I was there, but I wasn't there at the same time. Right. Yeah, it was tough as hell. And I was like, man, I got to quit. And I got really, really depressed about it because I didn't hear nothing from none of them, like none of the WWE folks. They was like, when they want you, they want you when they can't use you, supposedly. They forget about you, and it just felt real weird to me. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a lot to go through. I mean, because you put your, your whole life's work into this, you know, and then they do Yeah, because you watched them as a kid, right. and you was like, you felt like you were part of the family, like it's something you knew, and you got the opportunity you never thought would happen. Then all of a sudden, oh, a week before I was supposed to report down there, they said, oh, don't plan on coming. I'm like... What the hell you mean? Yeah, that's horrible. And just, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, not too long after that, I mean, you, you landed on your feet because Lucha Underground came calling. You, were, you did well there. Mm-hmm. You were on TV, got that experience behind you. Uh, your trios champion there. But then, of course, yep. that kind of fizzled out too because Lucha Underground is, isn't a thing anymore. You could have probably gone just about anywhere you wanted to, I think, after that. So what what stood out to you about Impact? Why, why did you want to go and take your career to the, to the next level at Impact versus anywhere else? Uh, well, because I, the only reason I came to Impact was the best wrestlers on the world are there. Like, you look at the roster, it's stacked as hell. To the X Division, because the X Division got some of the greatest high flyers or technical, whatever kind of thing you're looking for in wrestling, the X Division has it all. And the last thing I wanted to do was the six-sided ring, but if they ain't got that no more, maybe I could politic a little bit and see if they can bring it back for like one or two shows. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope they do for your sake. So, I, actually, back to the X Division now that you mentioned that. So you, you have this title win. Right, Going into that, I mean, obviously, you know, he's injured, but you and – and Rich Swan had some momentum going as a tag team. So I, is that still a goal of yours, to, to become a tag team champion as well? Hell yeah, because we, we was on the road. We was going straight forward. He got injured. And now he's just rehabbing and feeling a little bit better. I got to wait till he's 100%, and we're going to go right back at him because that's what we came in here for. He brought me in. I want him to be the one that we take them tag titles with. So what if, what if along the way, Rich gets back, you're still X Division champion, he tells you he wants a shot at that title. How do you feel about that? Oh, that's fine. I know it comes along with the territory because I'm a champion now. It's like, oh, when you was a regular dude, you know, nobody would – really care about wrestling, but once you win the title, 
everybody is like, oh, hell yeah, we're going after you. So we'll still be homies afterwards. I'm pretty sure it's just like sportsmanship and everything, but I wouldn't have a problem wrestling him for it. Cool, cool. So, I mean, I mean who else are, do you think, I mean, obviously – you kind of like have the, the bullseye on you now. Who are you, I don't want to say concerned about, because I, I feel like you're, you're down to take on anybody, but who do you want to get in the ring with and, and, and defend this title against? Like, who, who are you, who do you have your eye on? Yeah, any and all comers, like Jake something. Jack Cousin Jake is pretty good. Cody Dean is pretty good. Rohit Raju, he's been down there a while and, now you're getting a chance to go on the road. That'll be good. Any of the rascals, maybe if he wants it, I know he probably does. Ace Austin could get it again. And maybe Chris Bay or Manic even or Suicide, any of them. <laughs> sounds, it sounds like you're going to be pretty busy if all them want title shots. <laughs> um, hey, if I could get through it, that'll be amazing. That's true. That's true. I mean, you you might you get through all them, you might go down as the greatest X division champion ever. So, I mean, <laughs> so you've already made a big mark in uh, Impact. What are your goals for the next year? Like, what do you want to accomplish? If I were to talk to you again next April, what what would you would you hope to be able to tell me? Well, I want to see if I could capture the tag titles or somewhere along the line, get the world title and see if we could get, I don't know, maybe another faction started because that'll be something great because we kind of running short on factions right now at the moment. Hmm. Who, would you, who would you put in a faction with uh, you and Rich? Uh, hmm. That's a good question. But... I already know who I got in mind, but I can't tell you right now because I know somebody else will probably try to steal it. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> so obviously, wrestling's been really important for you in your, your life. It's been a dream of yours for a long time. You had to go yep. through a whole lot to get to where you are today. So if, there, if there's a kid out there who's, who's going to be reading this interview and they're feeling discouraged about following their dreams, what would you tell them? Hey, don't give up. Look at what happened to me. I was in foster care. My mom died when I was 14. And I was in special education classes. But years later, found out about wrestling, got trained. And remember, if you're going through something bad, remember there's somebody out there going through worse. And I was one of them. And I made it. And now I'm the champion in Impact Wrestling on a major TV network. If anybody ever tells you that you can't do nothing, be like, you can go to hell because Willie Mack did it. If he could do it, I could do it too. That's great. You have anything else you wanna, you wanna tell our readers or get out there? Yeah, just hit up my Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash Willie Mack, Instagram and Twitter, Willie underscore Mack. And uh, oh, like me on my Facebook page, Official Willie Mac. And that's about, oh, and watch Impact every Tuesday night on Access Television or Twitch. There it is. Thank you, Willie. I appreciate you making the time for me today. Yeah, no problem.